This is Thurman Hayes, pastor of First Baptist Church of Suffolk, Virginia. We want to welcome you to this message from our services at First Baptist. We're a congregation that is seeking to touch lives through the life-changing power of the gospel. I pray that you'll encounter Christ in his power and love even now as you listen. Let's pray. Lord, as we just prayed in that song that you would open up our eyes in wonder, we think about the words of the psalmist, open the eyes of my heart that I may behold wonderful things in your word. Lord, we pray that you'd open up the eyes of our hearts in wonder as we open up your word right now, that your spirit would take your word and that you would do surgery in our lives, that you would do healing in our lives, Lord, that you would speak to us, that you would change us, that we would go forth in love to those around us and ultimately to the nations. And so, Lord, we lift up this precious time together to you. This is a crucial time, an incredible opportunity as we open up your word for you to speak, for you to move in our lives. <clears throat> and we pray for you to do that for your son's glory. It's the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. Well, <clears throat> family reunions do not always equal family reconciliation. I've been to some family reunions, and, and maybe you have. And I, I've also, as a pastor for 30 plus years, had the experience of seeing many families who are forced to come together in the same room, especially at funerals and funeral visitations and things surrounding the death of a loved one. And what should be a time of shared grief when people come together turns out to be anything but that. Because you have people who are put together in the same room and they can't stand one another and there were times when, you know, there was so much tension in the room like you could cut it with a knife. In fact, over 30 plus years, there were times when I was afraid the knives were going to come out at different points with, when families are kind of put in that situation where they don't want to be. We have come to the point in Joseph's story where Joseph and his older brothers have now come together in the same room. The same older brothers that 20 plus years before sold him off as a slave to Egypt. Now they are face to face. What's that going to be like? What's going to happen? I want you to open your Bibles to Genesis 44 this morning. Genesis chapter 44. And we are going to look at chapter 44 and part of chapter 45 this morning as we talk about, oh, what God can do. Joseph's story has been leading really to this moment. What is God going to do in this situation? Genesis chapter 44, and we're going to read the 44th chapter and go into chapter 15 this morning. Follow along with me in your copy of, of God's word. Joseph commanded his steward Fill the men's bags with as much food as they can carry and put each one's silver at the top of his bag. Put my cup, the silver one, 
at the top of the youngest one's bag along with the silver for his grain. So he did as Joseph told him. At morning light, the men were sent off with their donkeys. They had not gone very far from the city when Joseph said to his steward, Get up, pursue the men. And when you overtake them, say to them, Why have you repaid evil for good? Isn't this the cup that my master drinks from and uses for divination? What you have done is wrong. When he overtook them, he said these words to them. They said to him, what is my Lord, Why does my Lord say these things? Your servants could not possibly do such a thing. We even brought back to you from the land of Canaan the silver we found at the top of our bags. How could we steal silver or gold from your master's house? If it is found with one of us, your servants, he must die and the rest of us will become my Lord's slaves. The steward replied, what you have said is right, but only the one who has found a habit will be my slave and the rest of you will be blameless. So each one quickly lowered his sack to the ground and opened it. The steward searched, beginning with the oldest and ending with the youngest, and the cup was found in Benjamin's sack. Then they tore their clothes, and each one loaded his donkey and returned to the city. When Judah and his brothers reached Joseph's house, he was still there. They fell to the ground before him. What have you done, Joseph said to them? Didn't you know that a man like me could uncover the truth by divination? What can we say to my Lord, Judah replied. How can we plead? How can we justify ourselves? God has exposed your servant's iniquity. We are now my Lord's slaves, both we and the one in whose possession the cup was found. Then Joseph said, I swear that I will not do this. The man in whose possession the cup was found will be my slave. The rest of you can go in peace to your father. But Judah approached him and said, My Lord, please let your servant speak personally to my Lord. Do not be angry with your servant, for you are like Pharaoh. My Lord asked his servants, Do you have a father or a brother? And we answered, My Lord, we have an elderly father and a younger brother, the child of his old age. The boy's brother is dead. He is the only one of his mother's sons left, and his father loves him. Then you said to your servants, Bring him to me so I can see him. But we said to my Lord, the boy cannot leave his father. If he were to leave, his father would die. Then you said to your servants, if your younger brother does not come down with you, you will not see me again. This is what happened when we went back to your servant, my father. We reported to him the words of, of my Lord. But our father said, go again and buy us a little food. We told him, we cannot go down unless our younger brother goes with us. If our younger brother isn't with us, we cannot see the man. Your servant, my father, said to us, you know that my wife bore me two sons. One is gone from me. I said he must have been torn to pieces, and I have never seen him again. If you also take this one from me and anything happens to him, you will bring my gray hairs down to Sheol in sorrow. So if I come to your servant, my father, and the boy is not with us, his life is wrapped up with the boy's life. When he sees that the boy is not with us, he will die. Then your servants will have brought the gray hairs of your servant, our father, down to Sheol in sorrow. Your servant became accountable to my father for the boy, saying, If I do not return him to you, I will always bear the guilt for sinning against you, my father. Now please, let your servant remain here as my Lord's slave in place of the boy. Let him go back with his brothers, for how can I go back to my father without the boy? I could not bear to see the grief that would overwhelm my father. Chapter 45. Joseph could no longer keep his composure in front of all his attendants. 
So he called out, send everyone away from me. No one was with him when he revealed his identity to his brothers. But he wept so loudly that the Egyptians heard it and also Pharaoh's household heard it. Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still living? But they could not answer him because they were terrified in his presence. Then Joseph said to his brothers, please come near me. And they came near. I am Joseph, your brother, he said, the one you sold into Egypt. And now don't be grieved or angry with yourselves for selling me here. Because God sent me ahead of you to preserve life. For the famine has been in the land these two years and there will be five more years without plowing or harvesting. God sent me ahead of you to establish you as a remnant within the land and to keep you alive by a great deliverance. Therefore, it was not you who sent me here, but God. He has made me a father to Pharaoh, lord of his entire household, and ruler over all the land of Egypt. Return quickly to my father and say to him, this is what your son Joseph says. God has made me lord of all Egypt. Come down to me without delay. You can settle in the land of Goshen and be near me. You, your children, and your grandchildren, your flocks, your herds, and all you have, there I will sustain you, for there will be five more years of famine. Otherwise, you, your household, and everything you have will become destitute. Look, your eyes and the eyes of my brother Benjamin can see that I'm the one speaking to you. Tell my father all about my glory in Egypt and all I, I, that you have seen and bring my father here quickly. Then Joseph threw his arms around his brother Benjamin and wept. And Benjamin wept on his shoulder. Joseph kissed each of his brothers as he wept. And afterward, his brothers talked with him. What do we see in this, um, these two amazing chapters? First of all, we see something about transformation. Something about transformation. One of the really encouraging things about chapters 44 and 45 is that people can truly change. You say, yeah, they can change for the worse. <laughs> That's true. I've seen plenty of people change for the worse. But one of the messages that we get from these chapters is that when the Spirit of God gets involved, people can truly be transformed for the better. People can truly change when God's Spirit gets involved. 2 Corinthians 3, 18 assures us, we all with unveiled faces are looking as in a mirror at the glory of the Lord and are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory. This is from the Lord who is the Spirit. And in the case of Joseph's own older brothers, it's a change, it's a transformation that only God could have done. Now chapter 44 begins with another test that Joseph is giving to his older brothers. He's forgiven them. He's not yet sure he can trust them. And so he gives them another test and it's another test that involves silver, his silver cup. Remember, it was, it was silver that his older brother sold him out for as a slave to Egypt. Now, Joseph administers another test because the test is, will they do the same to Benjamin? Will they sell him out for silver? 
And so he has his silver cup placed in Benjamin's sack, sends a steward out to pursue them as they're leaving. And when they're emptying their sacks, there it is in, in Benjamin's sack. So what happens? Chapter 44 and verse 10. Look at verse 10. The steward says to them, only the one who is found to have it will be my slave, and the rest of you will be blameless. And so, this is the perfect opportunity for the older brothers just to say, see you, Ben. <laughs> We're out of here, <laughs> right? You can be a slave in Egypt. And they, they had the perfect opportunity to sell him out, just like they did Joseph two plus decades before to sell him out for silver, but they don't do it. Instead, what do they do? They tear their clothes as a sign of mourning and distress. And rather than leaving Benjamin, no, they go with Benjamin back to stand in front of Joseph. And now in verses 14 and, and 15, we see what that was like. When Judah and his brothers reached Joseph's house, he was still there. They fell to the ground before him. What have you done, Joseph said to them? Didn't you know that a man like me could uncover the truth by divination? Now, remember, Joseph is still playing the role of an Egyptian aristocrat. The divination was very pagan practice, not something Joseph would have been involved in, but he's still playing the role of an Egyptian here, a ruse. Verse 16, what can we say to my Lord, Judah replied? How can we plead? How can we justify ourselves? God has exposed your servant's iniquity. We are now, my Lord's slaves, both we and the one in whose possession the cup was found. Now this, this must have spoken to Joseph's heart because we see here that the brothers are coming to terms with their own sin. Right? God has exposed your servant's iniquity. Right? They're coming to terms with their responsibility and what they did to Joseph. But not only that, they're making it clear they are not going to sell Benjamin out. They're not going to leave him. This must have spoken to Joseph's heart. Verse 17, Then Joseph said, I swear that I will not do this. The man in whose possession the cup was found will be my slave. The rest of you can go in peace to your father. So Joseph gives one last opportunity. He gives them one last opportunity to, to sell out Benjamin. One last test. And they refuse to do it. There has is, there is truly been change, transformation. And then one of them, Judah, approaches Joseph and he wants to talk with him privately. Now remember, Judah was the very brother years before who had the idea of selling Joseph off as a slave. Remember in chapter 37? Let's turn back to chapter 37. Turn back to chapter 37. And let's look at verse 26. 
You know, they've, they've thrown Joseph into the pit at this point. They thought about killing him. They're deciding what to do with him. And one of the brothers, Judah, has this idea. Genesis 37, 26, Judah said to his brothers, what do we gain if we kill our brother and cover up his blood? Come on, let's sell him to the Ishmaelites. Now, this same brother who had the idea of selling Joseph off years before comes before Joseph and he says, let's talk privately. And we see that conversation in verses 18 and following and it's so powerful. Judah's words are so powerful. Let's look at it again. But Judah approached him and said, My Lord, please let your servant speak personally to my Lord. Do not be angry with your servant, for you are like Pharaoh. My Lord asked his servants, do you have a father or a brother? And we answered, my Lord, we have an elderly father and a younger brother, the child of his old age. The boy's brother is dead. He is the only one of his mother's sons left, and his father loves him. Then you said to your servants, bring him to me so that I can see him. But we said to my Lord, the boy cannot leave his father. If he were to leave, his father would die. Then you said to your servants, if your younger brother does not come down with you, you will not see me again. This is what happened when we went back to your servant, my father. We reported to him the words of my Lord, but our father said, go again and buy us a little food. We told him we cannot go down unless our younger brother goes with us. If our younger brother isn't with us, we cannot see the man. Your servant, my father, said to us, you know that my wife bore me two sons. One is gone from me. I said he must have been torn to pieces, and I have never seen him again. If you also take this one from me and anything happens to him, you will bring my gray hairs down to Sheol in sorrow. So if I come to your servant, my father, and the boy is not with us, his life is wrapped up with the boy's life. When he sees that the boy is not with us, he will die then your servants will have brought the gray hairs of your servant, our father, down to Sheol in sorrow. Now what stands out here in Judah's words? The compassion. The compassion that he has for Jacob. The very father who, who has made it clear by his words and his actions that he loves the older brothers less than Joseph and Benjamin. He has favored Joseph and Benjamin in every way. These older brothers have grown up knowing that they were less loved by their father, but you see in Judah's words here such compassion for his father. This is, this is true change, right? This is a change that only God can... Listen, don't be cynical about the ability of Almighty God to change people. God can transform people. He can transform narcissistic, self-centered people into selfless, self-sacrificing people when they come to know the one who sacrificed himself for them. Something about transformation. Second, something about substitution. Something about substitution. Let, let's look again at what Judah says. Pick it up in verse 32 of chapter 44. 
Judas, again, it's speaking here with Joseph. And he says, your servant became accountable to my father for the voice saying, if I do not return him to you, I will always bear the guilt for sinning against you, my father. Now please let your servant remain here as my Lord's slave in place of the boy. Let him go back with his brothers. Do you see the language here of substitution? Do you see how this foreshadows the gospel? Look at verse 32. Judah, Judah says here, I will, if, if, if I do not return him to you, I will always bear the guilt. The concept of bearing the guilt for another. 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 24 says that Jesus bore our sins in his body on the tree so that having died to sins, we might live for righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. Jesus bore our guilt on the cross. And then look at verse 33 here. Judah says, now please let your servant remain here as my Lord's slave in place of the boy. In other words, instead of the boy, put it on me. Put the punishment on me in his place. 2 Corinthians 5, 21 says that Christ, he, he made himself, the, he, made, he made the one who did not know sin to be sin for us so that in him, in Christ, we might become the righteousness of God. On the cross, Jesus took our sins so that we might take his righteousness. He substituted himself for us in our place. Now let me show you something really amazing. From these 12 brothers are going to come the 12 tribes of Israel. Which tribe is the Lord Jesus going to be born from? The tribe of Judah, this very brother. I love what Kent Hughes says about this. Kent Hughes says, as God would have it, Judah's willingness to suffer as a substitute for his brother foreshadowed the substitutionary vicarious atonement of his ultimate son, Jesus Christ, the lion of the tribe of Judah. Praise God. Something about substitution. Third, something about identity. Something about identity. Let's look at chapter 45 and verse 1. Joseph could no longer keep his composure in front of his attendants, so he called out, send everyone away from me. No one was with him when he revealed his identity to his brothers. Now, on one level, you've just got something straightforward that's happening, and Joseph is literally revealing his, his true identity as their brother to them, but there's something deeper that's going on here. Throughout all of his time in Egypt, We've seen in this series that Joseph maintained his identity as a follower of God. When Potiphar's wife tried to seduce him, 
what does Joseph say? How could I do this immense evil and how could I sin against God? When the chief cupbearer and the chief baker come to him and they say, we, we have dreams but no one can interpret. What does Joseph say? Do not interpretations belong to God? When Pharaoh has his own dreams and he has Joseph brought before him and he says, I've heard that you can interpret dreams. And what does Joseph say? Not me. I can't do it. God can give the answer to Pharaoh. And then after Pharaoh raises Joseph up to become his right-hand man, he has every opportunity at that point just to basically become an Egyptian. But what does he do? When his two boys are born, Joseph gives them explicitly Hebrew names. Throughout his whole time in Egypt, Joseph has maintained his identity as a follower of the one true God. And listen, we're living in a culture where you better know who you are. Because otherwise, what's going to happen is you're going to get sucked right into the culture. Romans chapter 12 and verse 2 says, Do not be conformed to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may discern what is good, what is the good, pleasing, and perfect will of, of God. Now we see in verses 1 and 2 of chapter 45 this, this dramatic moment. Joseph could no longer keep his composure in front of his attendants, so he called out, send everyone away from me. No one was with him when he revealed his identity to his brothers, but he wept so loudly that the Egyptians heard it, and also Pharaoh's household heard it. Heard it. And so Joseph is breaking down here emotionally. There's something else going on here that's not, not obvious on the surface. In Egyptian culture, and especially in the Egyptian aristocracy, a virtue that was really prized was to be emotionally distant, to be always calm, composed, uh, remote. You see this in one of the most famous um, sites in Egypt, the great Sphinx of, of Egypt. So when we say today, it's just crept into our language, when we say that somebody's emotions, when they say they were, they were sort of like a sphinx, what do we say? We're saying like, they, you, they were emotionless. You can't tell by the, the sphinx's face what's going on underneath, right? That was a virtue that was prized among Egyptian aristocrats. You know, stay poker face. Don't, don't, don't give away what your emotions are. And, and Joseph has been playing that role. But now Joseph just completely breaks down. And I love what Old Testament scholar Bruce Waltke says about this moment. Waltke says, his authentic emotions are with his despised shepherding brothers, not with the sophisticated, proud culture of the palace. You know, when, when Joseph breaks down, and he, he identifies with his brothers. He's essentially, you know, he's saying, these are my people. And, and baptism, we're, we're saying that, right? When you're, when you're baptized as a believer, 
You, you were saying, Jesus is my Lord, my King, and, and these, are, these are my people. I'm not ashamed. I'm not ashamed of the Lord. I'm not ashamed of this people, right? That's one of the things we're saying in believer's baptism. We're, it's a question of identity. We have a Savior who came and identified with us, right? The Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. Jesus came, God came and identified with us, became one of us. Something about identity. Fourth, something about providence. Something about providence. So in the final message in the series, a couple of weeks from now, we're going to talk at length about God's providence. So I'm not going to belabor it here. But when we talk about the providence of God, we're talking about God's sovereign control over all of life, over historical events, over the stream of history, and over our lives, right? Romans 8, 28 says that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love him and who are called according to his purpose. And we have seen that again and again in Joseph's story, God's providence. I want to tell you, Joseph's got a great handle on God's providence, And we see it here in what he says to his brothers after he reveals himself to them. What does he he say? Let's pick it up in chapter 45 and verse 4. Then Joseph said to his brothers, please come near me. And they came near. I am Joseph, your brother, he said, the one you sold into Egypt. And now don't be grieved or angry with yourselves for selling me here because God sent me ahead of you to preserve life. For the famine has been in the land these two years and there will be five more years without plowing or harvesting. God sent me ahead of you to establish you as a remnant within the land and to keep you alive by a great deliverance. Therefore, it was not you who sent me here, but God. Listen, if we truly got this, that God is in control, in the very details of our lives, that God is causing all things, even the painful things, to work together for good, we'd be a whole lot less stressed. We would sleep a whole lot more peacefully at night. We would be able to relax a lot easier. And we would be able to forgive a lot quicker. And that's what we see next, something about forgiveness. Something about forgiveness. Listen, if anybody had a right to be bitter, (laughs) it was Joseph. Here's his brother. They sell him off as a slave. He was 17 years old. He had spent all of his late teens, the whole decade of his 20s, almost all of his 30s, In Egypt, much of it as a slave and much of that in a dungeon. If anybody had the right to be bitter, it was Joseph. But but what do we see here? He's concerned that his brothers are going to be overwhelmed and not be able to forgive themselves, right? He says, don't be grieved or angry, verse 5, because you sold me here. God was doing something deeper. I know you meant evil to harm me, but God meant it for good. And it was God's plan 
that was being carried out. And see, because Joseph has such a good handle on the providence of God, he is able to forgive his brothers. He's able to love. I love what Charles Spurgeon says about this moment when Joseph reveals himself to his brothers. At last, he could not restrain himself and burst into weeping before them all, for there was a big loving heart under the Egyptian garb of Joseph. He loved with all his soul, and so will every man who has God with him, for God is love. If we do not love, God is not with us. If we go through the world selfish and morose, bitter, suspicious, bigoted, hard, the devil is with us. God is not. For where God is, he expands the spirit. He causes us to love. And listen, we love because he first loved us. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ also forgave you. We've got a Savior who loved sinners like you and me and gave himself for us. Who forgave us and then who gives us his spirit and enables us to love. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for how the whole of your word points to the good news of the gospel. Lord, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you that because of the work of Christ, that a holy God like you can forgive and restore sinners like us, and not only that, but adopt us as your very own children. Father, we thank you that we can come before you as our Father through the work of your Son. Lord, we would pray for anyone in this room today or anyone who's watching on a stream today or at any point in the future who watches or hears this message that is not certain that they are in Christ. Lord, would you open hearts right now to respond to the gospel? Lord, would you take stony hearts and melt them and turn them into hearts of flesh and enable people to, to turn, to turn to Jesus, to repent of their sins, to trust, to trust in what Jesus has done for us all in substituting himself for sinners like us and rising from the dead that we can have eternal life. As we continue to pray, listen, we would invite you right now, turn to Jesus. Trust in him. Repent. Turn from trying to do life your way apart from the Lord. Turn to Jesus and trust him. Trust that he died for your sins, that he rose from the dead. Give yourself over to him. Say, Lord, come into my life and take control.
And Father, we pray that you would help us as, as believers to understand that you were involved in every aspect of our lives. Lord, there, there are some here today, surely, that are going through incredible trials, carrying incredible burdens that need to see your purpose in what they're going through. Lord, would you impart hope right now? Would you, would you help to, people to understand that you have not abandoned them? And that you're going to do something beautiful far beyond what we can understand at this point or even imagine. So Lord, speak to your people. I hope you've been blessed by this message. Christ is the answer for every need, now and for all eternity. As someone once said, Jesus plus nothing equals everything, and everything minus Jesus equals nothing. Have you trusted in Jesus as your Savior? If not, why not now? His arms are open wide to receive you. It may help to pray a prayer like this. Father, I know that you are holy and that I have sinned and fallen short of your glory. I know that you are a righteous God who must punish sin, but I believe that your son Jesus took my punishment for me, died in my place, and rose from the dead so that I could have eternal life. Right now, I turn to Jesus and trust in his finished work for me. In his name I pray, amen. You know, the Bible says this in John 1:12: to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. And that means that if you've received Christ, God has adopted you as his beloved child, his very own son or daughter. Just imagine it. Almighty God, the Lord of this universe, the one who possesses all authority in heaven and earth, is now your loving father and you are his child. You say, I love him. How can I honor God with the rest of my life? Well, when you love someone, you want to spend time with him. We get to know God through his word, through prayer, and through his people. I would encourage you to pick up a copy of the Bible and begin to read it. Begin to pour out your heart to him in prayer. And find a church family where the Bible is preached, where Christ is exalted, and where his love is flowing. If you're local, I want to invite you to the church I pastor, First Baptist Church of Suffolk, Virginia. 